but you have to be ready to incur the consequences that doing that could bring about. It almost seems like one of the tells of a real call to civil disobedience is when there will be an uncomfortable consequence Mm. for you. Because I think the temptation for us sometimes in the U.S., I've seen this and maybe felt it myself, is to say, I hate that idea that the government is suggesting. I'm going to oppose it. Hashtag civil disobedience. (laughs) It's very inconvenient for me, or I just don't like it, or it just feels off, but I'm not going to do the discernment that's necessary. And yet when we have these real calls to civil disobedience, it often seems like the consequences are really high. Hi, welcome to Wild and Beautiful. We're Joanna Hyatt and Lauren Enriquez, your co-hosts who every week are helping you live out your faith in a way that's biblically rooted, but culturally relevant. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. We're both drinking wine. We are both drinking wine. Although neither of us have a proper wine glass. We broke all of ours within the first like mm-hmm. year and a half of marriage. I can't even blame my children. And so then we got these cool little stubby kind of Basque glasses, which consequently a child broke one last night, but go figure. Yeah. You just can't win. No. Do you you have to drink wine in like a glass? See, I think wine tastes different if you try to drink it in like a thermos or something. Not that I've ever done that, but I mean, (laughs) until you asked that question, I wasn't sure what else you drank (laughs) it in. You know, like a red solo cup or, you know, I don't have a lot of red solo cups hanging around since college days. And not that, you know, that happened in college. Uh, <clears throat> wow, we're going to lose everybody who does not <laughs> approve of drinking. Guys, stay with us. Are you a real Protestant if you drink? I'm married to a Catholic, so that's where I picked it up. How you about get that? an exemption? I know. We've lost the Protestant. Did Jesus turn water into wine or grape juice? He do- in your- totally turned it into grape juice. Um, just kidding. He turned it into wine, and that is fine, and that rhymes fine with me. <laughs> I mean, listen, we're full of contradictions on this podcast. We're wild and we're beautiful. We've got a Protestant who drinks and we've got a Catholic who reads the Bible. Can okay, I say you that? went there. Yeah, you can. You can hey, go there. Hey, it's all in jest. Catholic friends, we love you. We know you read the Bible. Actually, if you've ever gone... We're saturated with the Bible. We, we gave you the Bible, but also most of us don't read it. Well, I was, gonna, I was going to say, what's always impressed me when I go to Mass is how much scripture there is. And I don't think mm-hmm. people realize that. I think they think... No, and the liturgy of the hours that like all priests and religious pray like six times a day, it's literally all scripture. See, this is... Our a, prayers are scriptural, the Hail Mary, the Our Father. It's a lot of misconceptions. It's all scripture. Yeah. Well, yeah. But yeah, we don't read it. A lot of people don't read it just on like a devotional basis. So that's where you guys usually have us. Yeah, but then we're a little stuffy and a little... No, I'm just kidding. I love... I you just love, need to drink more wine. <laughs> That's what you can learn from us. I love, I love being evangelical, but I also have, love my Catholic friends, and I have learned so much from y'all about just the sacredness and holiness of our faith. So, a little more wine as well. Basically, I'm a, I'm a more well-rounded person because of these relationships, so thanks. Sure, same, thanks. same, same. Yeah, I, I don't... I don't quite know what we're talking about. Oh, 
this is why you and I are having a glass of wine, because we're talking about civil <laughs> disobedience. A little loaded, a little heavy, yeah. a little bit out of our comfort zone, but really important. Especially because today is January 6th, when this episode is dropping, and normally January 6th is the epiphany, is that it? Three Kings? Yes. So we celebrate Three Kings Day. But if you are in the United States of America, January 6th has also come to signify, I'm just like so annoyed that I have to say this. Stop laughing at me. Okay, uh, the Capitol Hill skerfuffle, and that's what I'm calling it. It's It was a skerfuffle, <laughs> and I'm about to get everybody screaming at me uh, because to some, this, this was the worst attack on American democracy since ever. I mean, forget the Civil War where a whole half of the country just decided we're out. Uh, or I don't know, 9-11. I feel like that was a pretty dramatic attack on democracy, pretty intentional, pretty planned attack, but that one didn't count. This, this January 6th, skerfuffle. (laughs) It has already gone down in history books. It has, but that's because the history books are being rewritten. So they're changing all kinds of things. Yeah, this uh, is Howard's in American history. Exactly. Oh, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, Howard's in American yeah, history. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So let's, I, I mean, how, let's, um, how should we back <laughs> into this one? I mean, we've already backed into it, stepped into it. So mm-hmm. why don't we start? I guess the question is, is it, is, was that, I guess the thing we want to answer by the end of this episode. Yes. Was the skerfuffle legitimate civil disobedience? For a Christian. I like it. Or was it an a moronic and ill conceived theatric? We're gonna save our answer until the end so that y'all have to listen to the end. My saying I like it was I like the question, by the way, folks. Don't think that that was a giveaway. Uh, Let's first unpack what is civil disobedience, because I don't know that people could always define that. I think you hear it and you think it's like, being dragged down the street, you know, resisting arrest. Maybe it's marching in the face of fire hoses. It's refusing to fight in a war. What else might people think of? I mean, all of those could be examples of civil disobedience, by the way, folks. But we, we want to unpack what we mean, because as you will learn, words matter. And so we like to define our words whenever there's possible confusion. Yeah. I have the Catechism of the Catholic Church here for those who are interested start with in hearing that. a little bit. So I'm going to recommend that people read a, a few pages if you're interested in this topic. And really, it's root, this, this passage is really rooted in a lot of scripture. So I feel that my Protestant brothers and sisters would appreciate it. But paragraphs 2238 through 2246 are on the duties of citizens. I'm going to specifically just skip to 2242 because this sort of gives us a framework for civil disobedience. The citizen is obliged in conscience not to follow the directives of civil authorities when they are contrary to the demands of the moral order, to the fundamental rights of persons, or the teachings of the gospel. Refusing obedience to civil authorities when their demands are contrary to those of an upright conscience finds its justification and the distinction between serving God and serving the political community. Quote, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God's the things that are God's. 
unquote, and then quote again, we must obey God rather than men, quote. Then there's a passage here that says, when citizens are under the oppression of a public authority which oversteps its competence, they should still not refuse to give or to do what is objectively demanded of them by the common good, but it is legitimate for them to defend their own rights and those of their fellow citizens against the abuse of its authority within the limits of that natural law and the law of the gospel. So that's just a little framework for you from paragraph 2242 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, rooted in scripture. That last passage was from Gaudium et Spes, an apostolic letter by John Paul II, or as I like to call him, John Paul the Great. I like to call him JP too. Yes, that works too. I've got a sticker of him on my <laughs> laptop. It is Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. That's the quote. That's a good one. Yeah. So maybe you want to talk about Romans 13. Well, let's, let's, been... let's make, let's uh, back up quickly to just rephrase what you just read that it's not about just rebelling, right? Yep. It's not about just being difficult because, because if we're honest, every single one of us has a tendency towards rebellion because we are sinful creatures. And, you know, so that's in us to want to resist authority, to resist obedience. You see it in children, you see it in adults. So, so as a believer, you, you do recognize that, okay, this is in me to, you know, my natural instinct is to resist. And so we're, we are called to submit in a lot of places. Submission is, is sort of the mark of the believer. We are called to submit to our governments. And that section is saying, not though when it conflicts with what God is saying, because we first submit to God, uh, believers mm-hmm. all first and foremost submit to Jesus Christ. And then to authorities, uh, you see submission within the church, right? You see submission to your pastor or to your priests, to one another, uh, to other believers in the way that we ex- exercise our spiritual gifts. And then of course, you know, everybody, every female's favorite, uh, wives are called to submit to husbands. And right. Don't worry, don't worry. This is not an episode on spousal submission. But the idea being that the mark of the Christian is is submission in a lot of ways. And yet, and yet, that passage, and I would say a lot of scripture actually supports that that is not blind submission and it is not submission in all things at all times uh, to the extent that it contradicts both what God has said and our biblically informed conscience as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Love it. So Romans 13, I don't know if this was a big deal for all of you Catholic friends, but I know for a lot of kind of the Protestant evangelical world during this last year and a half or so of uh, pandemic shutdowns and whatnot, there's been a lot of discussion around Romans 13 in regards to whether or not we are to submit to what the governing authorities are putting in place. So Romans 13 starts off with everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And so there, you know, in resisting masking mandates or, uh, vaccine mandates or church closures. That was a big one. There were some that said, uh, you are, you are going against Romans 13. And yet 
That's going to be like my constant refrain this episode. And yet. And yet. <laughs> you know, and I, I, based on like what you read and when you look at scripture, what you see is, is you see God is sovereign. God allows, God places people into leadership and places of authority in part because people make decisions. We elect especially in our system here in the United States, we have the privilege of electing our leaders. And so as a result, we sometimes get not great leadership. Uh, But that doesn't mean that every decision made by that leader is therefore endorsed by God. And there is a difference between a leader who has been sovereignly placed there and a leader who is seeking to further goodness and righteousness and operating in the correct role of the government. So really, this is first probably a question of like, what is the role of government? Because that determines whether or not you are in a position to biblically support disobedience. Don't you think? Yes. Like, What do you think the role of government is? Sum it up in one line. Go. Oh, you always give me these assignments. I do. do. You understand that as a writer, Mm -hmm. I'm sitting at my desk meticulously thinking through every single word. It takes me like five minutes to write a sentence, but then you just want me to do it on the spot in five seconds. And that's not how I operate. Kelly Clarkson has a line for you. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. (laughs) A little taller. Oh my goodness. So what was the question? What's the role of government? Yeah. Real quick. What would you say the role of government is? Like just broad stroke. Ideally, to help us follow God's law while we're here on earth. Yeah, to promote and the I good. Think, yes, to promote the good. And I think that in an ideal society in which none of us live, we live in a broken, fallen world, but in an ideal society, maybe a theocratic dictatorship of some kind, just kidding, the civil leaders would be looking to God as the paradigm of their moral leadership. Yeah. And yet that is not the culture in which we live. And so we often find ourselves having to distinguish between what our faith is telling us, what our government is telling us, and then discern whether those th- two things are aligned enough for us to continue following our government. And I think it's a con- it's a constant perpetual discernment and it requires formation mm-hmm. that if we don't have, we're going to fall into the trap of thinking that, for example, Romans 13 is exhorting us to do everything we're told without asking any questions or comparing the order to the commands of Scripture and the obligation we have to the common good. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the first century church that Paul was writing to, even they at times resisted in the sense that they went and rescued the orphans and they cared for the sick and they continued to they continued to share the gospel and they continued to gather together. And that was explicitly forbidden. And yet they still did it, which is ironic when we were told not to gather, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the beginning, totally made sense. Nobody knew what this COVID thing was. Uh, but then as time dragged on, the question started to become, does the government get to tell us whether or not like how to live out our faith? Does the government get to dictate the parameters around which Christians practice community, communion, the Eucharist, uh, you know, worship, uh, you know, some states were crazy enough to say like, you can sing, but only like 12 people can sing, or you can sing with a mask on, you know? And so when you look at all of history, there have definitely been very evil leaders 
Mm-hmm. And the church has gone against them. And sometimes the church has gone with it and individual believers have gone against it. Yeah. I mean, you look at the early church, St. Paul was martyred mm-hmm. in a, by his state. Jesus was crucified by the civil authorities. I think most of the disciples probably were as well. In a, sen- in a sense, their their act of putting God first was the pri- primary act of civil disobedience that we look to kind of for guidance in our own lives today. Well, and then fast forward to World War II. Everybody, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a conversation if you don't talk about the Holocaust. You know, there's the famous one, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who watched the German church basically be what I'm, I'm going to make a bold statement. They watched, he watched the German church be what a lot of the churches were this last year and a half, taking orders mm-hmm. from the state and yeah. following the state according to whatever the state said was okay or not okay, could be said or not. And I say this living in a very restrictive state. So don't y'all at me about. She lives in a slave state. <laughs> Just going to say it. It's the struggle is real. This podcast will be censored in the state of Washington. It will be. And the communist state of Washington. <laughs> oh, the communist left block of the country. But anyway, so you you had Bonhoeffer, though, who said what the church is doing is not right. Like, we, we are being silent when we should not be on behalf of our Jewish, you know, brothers and sisters in our communities. And what they're doing is wrong. And he lost his life for it. I mean, he also got arrested because of an assassination attempt. But... He lost mm-hmm. his life for it. That's that's what civil disobedience played out for him. Now, another story from World War II. I don't know if you are familiar with the latest Terrence Malick movie, Hidden Life, about no. Franz Jagerstatter. I hope I did that right. Well done. Thanks. I don't know if that was right, but it sounded, sounded good. So he was he was Austrian, and, and Terrence Malick just did this movie on him because actually he is a Catholic, he's he's beatified by the Catholic Church, so he's a saint, right? Am I getting well, now right? I'm really embarrassed that I don't know this it's okay. story. It's okay, I'm here for you. So this story is of a man who was a farmer and had three daughters married and refused to fight for the Nazis. He had even, I was reading up a little bit on it, and he had actually gone to the training and then gotten an exemption or something because he was a farmer and then managed to put it off, put it off, put it off. But he had a moral uh, problem with fighting for the Nazis because he believed that what they were doing was wrong. And it was his religion that dictated it, his faith. Obviously, he's a Catholic saint now. So what's interesting, though, is he also lost his life. (laughs) Side note, he uh, was beheaded on my birthday. So uh, that was a fun fact. Wow. But listen to this quote. Listen to this quote from him. I just I thought this was so good. This was the day before his execution. He writes, If I must write with my hands in chains, I find that much better than if my will were in chains. Neither prison nor chains nor sentence of death can rob a man of the faith in his free will. God gives so much strength that it is possible to bear any suffering. People worry about the obligations of conscience as they concern my wife and children, but I cannot believe that just because one has a wife and children, a man is free to offend God. And so what I'm getting, the theme I'm getting from all of these is, is that there's absolutely a time and place for civil disobedience. Yeah. But you have to be ready to incur the consequences that doing that could bring about. 
It almost seems like one of the tells of a real call to civil disobedience is when there will be an uncomfortable consequence Mm. for you. Because I think the temptation for us sometimes in the U.S., I've seen this and maybe felt it myself, is to say, I hate that idea that the government is suggesting. I'm going to oppose it. Hashtag civil disobedience. (laughs) It's very inconvenient for me, or I just don't like it, or it just feels off, but I'm not going to do the discernment that's necessary. And yet when we have these real calls to civil disobedience, it often seems like the consequences are really high. I mean, look at the look at nuns during the French Revolution who their civil disobedience took them to the guillotine. And even today you see Christians living under the Islamic State who go to church knowing that they could lose their heads or suffer other consequences for that. Communist China doesn't allow Catholic bishops that haven't been pre-screened and approved by the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, there are real consequences worldwide even today for practicing civil disobedience. And I think a lot of us in the U.S. just have to develop our discernment to know whether we're being called to practice civil disobedience or our ego is just a little bit inflamed. But I think you brought up a good example when you were talking about COVID under the guise of COVID policies, we were prevented from gathering and going to church for a while. I think that was a clear example of where Christians could say with a pretty, pretty good certainty that that warranted civil disobedience. Well, and, and, you know, people would push back and say, well, you don't love people well, then if you're not gathering, if you're gathering, like you're willing to risk people's life. And, you know, first of all, as believers, our hope is not in how many days we get on this earth, people. I was talking to my neighbor and she was going on and on about, you know, this person, the shot, and then I got to get the booster. And and I said, all I said was, makes you want, it makes you wonder if life is about more than just trying to survive. Yeah. And she said, she just stopped. She goes, well, if you know, please tell me. Mm. And so I shared the whole gospel. But winning. <laughs> what what that, you know, as Christians, we have to first ask ourselves, am I just trying to protect myself to get a few more days to, you know, to have a really comfortable life? And because if we walk into a gathering, you know, we are called to gather in fellowship. We are called to come together as the body of Christ. And yes, there's a component of, of faith. Uh, but also if you get sick or you die, even you trust that your days are numbered by God. I mean, all of scripture points to the fact that God is ordering our days and we are commanded to gather together. We are commanded to sing praises because it grows our faith. There is, there is an emphasis on the beauty and power of a person's face because of how much God's face is talked about. And that's Mm. a, what's that big word? Anthropomorphification of God, like (laughs) attributing human characteristics to God. That's a word that's only intended to appear in writing. Okay, yeah, well, I <laughs> no, I'm just, for. I just made that up. You're the writer. Every I'm time the- I try to say it, I think to myself, I think this was only made for books. Well, I just proved why. But we see so many places where as the believer, we are to bring our faces and our presence to bear into the world. And, and I don't know about you, I was disappointed in a lot of believers who 
hid. And if you're listening to this mm-hmm. and you spent the last year and a half, we are not condemning you, P.S. We are not judging you, but we want to encourage you to reconsider why you might be following um, certain guidelines or not, and to take your encouragement to from Christians through all of history. You know, when the bubonic plague hit in the Middle Ages, the Christians went out and ministered and they they were the ones who picked up the sick and they got sick and they died. But Christians have always been known for pressing into the brokenness of this world. And I just watched so many people run from it this last year under the pretense of being loving as they isolated in their homes, they ordered their groceries and they made sure that their life was convenient. And I'm really going to anger a lot of people here, but I was even saddened by the church leadership in my own church in some locations. Not mm. Now, every diocese has a different bishop and different bishops did different things. But And I, I always try to obviously give the benefit of the doubt to a bishop because they are often wiser, older, have a context of the world or the country that I may not have from my vantage point, that kind of thing. But it did seem like in some places, there was a concerted effort to appease political powers more than to ensure the spiritual well-being of the faithful, which Mm -hmm. is their primary job. Their job is not to maintain political peace or civil order. Their primary job is to ensure that the salvation of their, the souls of those that have been entrusted to them. So that was discouraging. I want to read this one passage again from the catechism that I just found really beautiful. Christians reside in their own nations, but as resident aliens, they participate in all things as citizens and endure all things as foreigners. They obey the established laws and their way of life surpasses the laws. So noble is the position to which God has assigned them that they are not allowed to desert it. This just reminds me of how COVID provided us an opportunity to think through these questions about civil disobedience and the primacy of our faith in our personal lives. I know for a lot of us, we had this dispensation from mass for a long time. Some dioceses literally just lifted it this past year when Advent began in December or late November. And a lot of people had to discern whether to go back to mass before this dispensation was lifted. And I think it, I think one of the, maybe you could call it a silver lining of COVID is that it made Christians have to think through things that were on autopilot before. Mm -hmm. So maybe we took our mass attendance or our church attendance for granted. Maybe we never really gave civil disobedience a second thought until these mandates and, um, you know, prohibitions were enacted, not just from gathering in public places, but from going to church or being able to go to school or gather in prayer, have a Bible study at your house. I mean, in some places, Christians have essentially been barred from gathering. And let's point out the reason we take such issue with that is because simultaneously, those same governments, and I speak firsthand in Washington, allowed pot dispensaries to stay open, Mm -hmm. allowed abortion facilities to stay open. Uh, You know, so it was not about it, it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that this wasn't about public health, that there was a political agenda to it. And then how many of us remember the peaceful protests 
of the summer of 2020. Mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful. Uh, I think Portland burned for like 100 days. Seattle had its own special non-American <laughs> six block. I can, I, anyway. So, so and, and there was no issue with that. People, you know, mm-hmm. uh, shoulder to shoulder. And, and so that's the other thing too, you know, hear us when we say, Part of it too is is clear being clear to what is happening and being aware of the situation in which you are in to say this is this is not what it's being pushed as. Mm-hmm. And I can either take my directives from leaders who are hostile to the things of God, or I can take my directive from scripture, from history, from tradition, and then pray for courage to live that out. And we may come to different conclusions. But if it's a biblically informed conscience, not a world informed perspective, that's exactly. what we want to see people get to a biblically informed conscience. Go back to your Bible, question everything we have just said and go look in your yeah. Bible and see if it doesn't line up and don't, don't cherry pick one verse. Like it's really getting to know this book. Yeah. I think you made a good point about the hypocrisy of the government during COVID. I think it was really eye-opening, just to go back to that. I think it was really eye-opening to see how civil leaders chose to use COVID to suppress Christians. I, I, I feel comfortable saying that they used COVID to suppress Christianity and to bolster demonstrations, if you want to call them that, and groups that were politically aligned with themselves in many cases. Now, again, this was kind of a location by location thing that happened, (laughs) but again, it provided an opportunity to evaluate our own personal lives. And also I think it kind of exposed something that we weren't all aware was happening. It exposed the animosity that really does exist within our government toward our faith. Mm -hmm. It exposed that Christians may be perceived as a threat to some political agendas. And it, it gave us the opportunity to take a firm stance on things that maybe we were again on autopilot and taking for granted. So hopefully we can take the whole COVID experience of the last two years as an opportunity to think and evaluate and consider how we might do things uh, differently next time if this uh, continues or happens again. <laughs> so how do uh, I think we've, we've shown and that there is a case for civil disobedience, uh, that it is appropriate and necessary at times. And and by the way, my dad, I'm just going to plug my dad for a second. Lug away. He it's a good thing. He wrote a fantastic like 60 page paper uh, uh, on the biblical basis and support for civil disobedience. And then he took a lot of these specific things that we're experiencing with COVID and unpacked them. And so we'll link to that because if you want more of an understanding or some scripture to, to go to, then start there. It's, it's dripping with scripture references because, and he points out it's solely about what does scripture have to say in this instance? He's not looking at all of traditional. He's just pointing to how do we use the word of God to understand our time here in, in Western culture where we are facing questions that our brothers and sisters are around the world have faced, honestly, for a while. We're just and are facing as we yeah. speak. Yeah. I was just listening to a radio interview today that reminded me something I had forgotten about 21 
Coptic Christians who were beheaded yes. on a beach in Sudan in 2015. And just 2015. I mean, that was so recently. And these things are happening so often, probably some of them not even being recorded for us to know about. We'll, we'll know about it hopefully in eternity, but in a sense, we're getting a taste of something that's really that the rest of our Christian brothers and sisters worldwide are very familiar with, and maybe we're playing catch up a little bit. And I think that in some ways God is being gracious in that because a thought I've had when Afghanistan that was not a kerfuffle when the Afghanistan absolute disaster yeah. was happening and you're watching men and women who say, we know we're going to be killed because we follow Jesus Christ. The thought I had was, Hmm, maybe God is allowing us in the United States to experience a little bit of difficulty and tension so that we're not totally embarrassed when we get to heaven and we're all sitting around and we're everybody's sharing like, what did you get to give up for Jesus? And what did it cost you? And everyone's like, I lost my head and I lost my family. And I, you know, I, I, I was raped and then I was set on fire. Like all the things that it could be. And then the, I gave I, up chocolate for Lent. <laughs> and then the Americans are like, I got yelled at on Facebook and like yeah. someone side-eyed me in, in the, in the store. Stop. Like, mm-hmm. stop. I think God is saying, listen, I'm giving you a chance to understand a deeper faith and to trust me. And we will unpack fear and all that at another point. But just to keep that in mind, that it's not a, oh, this is, oh, woe is us. But what a privilege that we might begin to take a tiny step forward in joining so many people around the world and through history who have sacrificed much because of their love for Jesus Christ. Well said. I love that perspective. I only say good things on this podcast. What are you talking about? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) All, All of the things are well said. No, that's a really good perspective. I hadn't thought about those conversations that I hope happen in the next life. Okay, so how do we live out civil disobedience? What is our attitude? Uh, Because we asked a question at the beginning of this episode about the Capitol Hill skerfuffle of January 6th and whether or not we would say that was a legitimate example of civil disobedience or whether it was, what did you say, theatrical histrionics? (laughs) That's probably better than what I said. I mean, based on history, we are to incur the consequences when we believe that government is asking us to do something that that conflicts with what God has asked. And the common good. And the common good. And when, when government is supporting and encouraging evil instead of supporting and encouraging good. So something you had said actually earlier, I think, helps us. You said something to the extent that we have to be willing to incur potentially difficult consequences. Mm-hmm. And when I look at, say, the riots that happened in a lot of cities, we're just going to call them what they are, riots. Yes. We use words to the best of our ability yes. with accuracy, and except when we're being sarcastic. Correct. So I am currently listening to Unmasked. Andy Knows? News. N-G-O. No. No. Andy Knows. Mm-hmm. So Unmasked is Andy Knows' book about Antifa. And with, it is, which you are most likely very familiar in the great state of Washington. Oh, so, so special. And it's fascinating how many times, all of them, pretty much, nearly all of them, I think, uh, somebody would 
uh, destroy property, would inflict damage on a location or an individual, and they might be arrested, but they were never, they were not charged. They were let go on bail. There was zero consequence to their destructive behavior of both private property, businesses, and human life. People who died as a result of these riots uh, that were happening. And so, you know, when I look at that, I think, well, gee, that's a form of civil disobedience. But it is not a form that is incurring any sort of consequence. And it is only destroying. It is not promoting anything good anything helpful, anything beneficial, and it is not consistent with scripture. The Catholic catechism actually provides, I'm not going to read them, <laughs> but if anyone wants to, paragraph 2243, it provides five criteria that must be met for an armed resistance to oppression by political authority, i.e. a mostly peaceful protest where things are being burnt and people are being shot. It provides five criteria that must be met for one of those to be legitimate. And according to the Catholic faith, the most mostly peaceful protest riots were not legitimate not. acts of civil disobedience. And they stand in stark contrast to the protests, uh, you know, for the civil rights of African-Americans and, and blacks and marginalized, uh, you know, from the Martin Luther King days. I think that's such an example of, you, we've all seen those images of people being hosed down and dogs coming at them, and they just keep peacefully walking. So mm -hmm. check out the contrast there, folks. That being said, okay, I'm going to give my opinion. No, you go, you can give, okay, I think January 6th was not a good example of civil disobedience. I'm just going to call it. I would agree no with that. Can, Shock no of all shocks. <laughs> 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 it was not, uh, I don't think it was uh, civil disobedience at no. all. Well, it was, it just wasn't legitimate civil disobedience. I think it was terrible. I think it should never have happened. Yeah. But I do think that the context is extremely important if we're going to talk about the morality of the January 6th skerfuffle in the context of 2020. You have to talk, or 2021, because it was January 6th, 2021. You have to talk about the mostly peaceful protest riots that took place across the country and draw a contrast. Yeah, January 6th, not legitimate, but also unfairly singled out in comparison to everything else that happened in the course of that year. And not the greatest attack on our American democratic process. I agree. But also very stupid and hopefully oh, never so happens dumb. again. You know, we were all watching me like, what are you doing? Yeah. You are playing into exactly what what they wanted. Uh, so as you all go and be slight rebels this week <laughs> in your communities, make sure that you are operating not from a spirit of rebellion because that is our sin nature, but that it is a biblically informed perspective seek the Holy Spirit, ask him to guide you uh, and to strengthen you, to help you be a little bit braver this week, even as you might have to live a little bit more wild. <laughs> I love that. And this week we would like to ask you for a favor. If you would go to our Apple podcast page and leave us a five-star review, we would be very grateful to you. Yes. 
Thank you. And thanks for joining us as we launch this podcast. And we hope that you will be encouraged, strengthened, and we cannot wait to connect with you all.